everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Welcome back to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, with my co-host, Chris K. Each week, we discuss and dissect the hard rock and heavy metal bands we all know and love. Each week, we'll also discuss some bands and albums you may not know that you should definitely be listening to, as well as giving you our big four on various bands, albums, musicians, etc. This week on episode 10, we're taking you beginners back to school with Metal 101. We'll be talking about three of the biggest albums in metal hard rock history and go over some of the more popular subgenres out there and give you a little info on each. Later in the episode, you wanted the best, you got the best. This week's big four comeback albums. We've also got another what should you be listening to. All right, but before we begin, let's recap what we discussed last week on episode nine. Uh, Last week, we talked about live albums and what we liked and didn't like about them. We spoke about Kiss Alive and Alive 2, UFO, Strangers in the Night, Jewish Priests Unleashed in the East, Ozzy's Speak of the Devil, and Iron Maiden's Live After Death. So if you missed last week's episode or any of the previous ones, be sure to stream or download all our episodes from your favorite podcast platforms. And don't forget to rate us or leave a review. Chris, what was our Big Four last week? Last week, we picked our Big Four anthems. To check our list, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and let us know if you liked our picks or if you think you can do better. Let's start things off with what should you be listening to? Kenneth, how about you start us off? All right. Um, this week's choice for me was a little difficult because I had uh, I was preoccupied coming up with a big four. <laughs> and part of it always our, takes a little bit of time. Yeah, metal one on one topic. But I'm gonna pick Alter Bridge and their new album Walk the Sky. I'm gonna be honest, I haven't given it a complete listen. I heard it when it came out, and it came out back in October of last year. From what I heard, it was typical Alter Bridge, but I didn't hear a big single off of what I had heard right off the bat. Needless to say, they are coming to Houston. Uh, They're on tour. Currently, most bands are not on tour because everything's been shut down. Yeah. But um, they are coming to Houston at some point. Hopefully, they won't be delayed. But if they don't come, hopefully they they reschedule. But they're on tour. Um, they're supposed to be coming here, so I really want to check them out because I think they're a great live band. Um, and they're, to me, they're one of those don't-miss shows. I, I love their last few albums. They've, they've got some really heavy riffs now that, that mm-hmm. really uh, intrigue me. i got to say this album um, is a little softer, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I don't really feel like it's the standard affair. It's a little different. It kind of harkens back like the first couple albums. And for that, for me, that wouldn't be a problem. So, like I said, I, I haven't given it enough of a listen to me to really yeah. to absorb it. Uh, I'm such a big fan of theirs that you know the fact that they have an album out that means that they're going to tour. Yeah, and if they're touring, that means I want to go see them. And I've seen them once, but they were an opening act when I saw them. So they only played for like 45 minutes, maybe an hour. Gotcha. They didn't put on their full show. Well, I, you know? I listened to this album twice, I, all the way through. It's it's good. Give mm-hmm. it a listen. Sometimes for me, it takes more than just a couple listens right. to really, you know, ingratiate myself with the album. Yeah, and so. I'm the same way. I, you know, I get all the time in the world to to listen to stuff when I'm driving to work in the mornings and in the afternoons. So, 
that is my choice for what should you be listening to, the new Alter Bridge, Walk the Sky, or any of the older albums. Just listen to Alter Bridge because they are one badass band. Absolutely. What do you got? I have a band called Beast in Black. I'm not a big power metal guy, but this this band has such an amazing singer. It really grabbed my attention. Cool. Um, his name is Yanis Papadopoulos. Greek guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're... They have a really cool sound. They do a couple covers, which one of them is uh, uh, "There's No Easy Way Out" from Rocky Four, and I, I, it was such a bizarre choice. I just loved it. Oh, that's cool. Um, but they, they, it's it's funny. They have a, a theme behind the band, and they're all big fans of this this uh, manga called uh, Berserk, and so they took the themes, which are all very dark and demonic, and they took these and turned it into a power ba- a power metal band and so it it's got dark themes and battles and dragons and all kinds of stuff going on but what's what's interesting is it's very upbeat and exciting and it just feels like uh you know just the whole time you should be like raising your hand to the sky it's, <laughs> it's just a lot of fun where so you, where do you find this shit <laughs> <laughs> i just i just put stuff on shuffle and keep listening till i find something i like yeah, I got to do that. Um, I don't do enough of that. There's been times where I have done it, and uh, I've just disco- actually I've discovered some older bands doing that on on older playlists. Yeah, I got to do that with some newer bands. Yeah, I found one today. I'm not going to mention it because it might be my my pick next week. But I I just found one today by doing the same kind of thing. Now, Beast in Black. I got to throw a shout out to my friend George. He's actually the one that pointed it out to me. Sent me a video of the guy. The lead singer was singing. What's the song from Frozen? Let it go. Let it go. Oh wow! And his his vocal range is so amazing that he hit all the notes spawn on perfect. Wow! And this was just a YouTube video of him singing the song, not not related to the band. And uh, he was like, "You got to listen to everything else they've done because it's amazing." Well, that's cool. Yeah. That's crazy cool. Wow! All right, cool. Well, that's uh, our "What Should You Be Listening To" segment for this week. So now we're gonna go to school, boys and girls. And we're going to Metal 101. That's the new class for today. We're going to talk about three of the biggest rock albums or or metal albums, whatever you want to call it, in history. We're going to talk about those albums, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the subgenres and some of the bands and some of the albums in those areas. Essentially, what we're trying to do is for people who want to just begin to listen to our show, we talk a lot about the older groups that we listen to. We talk a lot about the middle-aged groups that we listen to. We don't talk too much about the newer bands, and not because we don't like them. We probably are not aware of them as much as we are aware of the older stuff, where the history of the genre that we like so much is from. The newer stuff is is so evolved and different from what everything came from. For new people, I don't think you could just jump right into a Monomarth and think that you know <laughs> that this is cool. You might. Some might, but in general, usually people kind of build up to that. <laughs> you know, I didn't. It's build, true. Yeah. I, I I built myself up to Celtic Frost. I built myself up to Slayer. It wasn't overnight. But yeah, it took a little time to find that niche, the heavy end of the spectrum for me. But and it may have been a lot faster than than say for you. Right. Um, it, it, it it was a gradual progression. I mean, when the first time I heard growling vocals, it it was a little strange to me. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, I came to like it a lot because I love the music that was behind it. And then I just enjoyed every aspect of it. Right. So it's, there's a progression there. Exactly. And my friend Matt and I, were, we were having a conversation earlier today 
along the same lines is, you know, when did he accept growling vocals? When did I accept growling vocals? And there's times where there's certain growling vocals I can't deal with. But yet I can still have no problem. There's so many to varieties listen. of right. it too. Like I, can I, listen I don't to, like the metalcore version. Right, exactly. as, you know. But it, well, the metalcore for you is more about the music and the, the grounding vocals altogether. Yeah, but specifically talking about the vocals, right. I'm not a I'm not a huge fan either. What we were talking about was the fact that we both like Max from Sepultura and Soulfly, mm-hmm. but yet, you know, there's other bands that we just like, no, nah, I can't do that because the growling vocals is just overwhelming. But I don't really care for Soulfly, whereas I like his other bands. Right. So it's yeah. it's a weird thing. You know, I guess it's to the taste mm-hmm. because he, Slipknot, very popular. His growling vocals come and go. Mm-hmm. And it's almost literally like him just chugging out a growl without the harmonizer on his voice. Mm. It's, it, it, that's the way it seems. And then there's other times where you hear, yeah, yeah, you, know, you know his voice is processed. Anyway, the Metal 101 is, is going to be for new listeners and young and old who are thinking about getting into listening to metal. That's just a weird way to put it. Sometimes people are afraid to listen to that metal band. Well, maybe you got a, a boyfriend or girlfriend that's into, you know, that, that style True. of music and, you, and, and you, you want to appreciate what they appreciate. Right, exactly. And hopefully that, that happens. So the first one we're going to talk about today, probably the biggest metal band in the world right now. Some people will sit there and say they're not metal. Some people will sit there and say they're not the biggest. Um, Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> Close. It's Hetfield and Ulrich. <laughs> uh, we're talking about Metallica. And Metallica, if you if anybody wants to get into listening to metal, that's a really good place to start, especially nowadays because Metallica has been across the board, especially since the album that we're going to talk about, the Black Album that came out in 1991. That album was across the board, appealed to everybody. You know, it had... Super accessible. It had slow songs, it had medium songs, it had one fast song or two fast songs on there. Even though it didn't have the same kind of speed that, that And Justice For All had on some of their songs, the, the riffs were there. Um, they were just, the groove was different. It was a more groove album yeah. than it was a, a straight up thrash record. Definitely not a thrash record. Yeah, um, there's only a couple instances of thrash sounding songs right. on there. Period. Yeah, through the Never, maybe The Struggle Within. But anyway, the album came out in August of 1991. It was produced by Bob Rock with James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. It was Metallica's fifth studio album. Um, so they were coming off of the success of their first video for one and the album and Justice for All. They made a conscious effort to say we wanted to be basically more accessible. We wanted to get into a groove. So they, they altered their songwriting just a bit. The, they also altered the way they played, specifically Lars, instead of doing... You know, the crazy Phil's, he tried to be like, you know, Phil Rudd. That was his thing. He wanted to be Phil Rudd for an album. And he did it. Mind you, if you watched the video, Year and a Half in Life of Metallica, you could see he did it with a million splices on the tape. <laughs> but he did yeah. it. You know, it had five big singles off of it, including Enter Sandman. Um, the other songs were Sabbath True, The Unforgiven, Wherever I May Roam, and Nothing Else Matters. They all have videos for them. Uh, the album debuted at number one. It spent three weeks at number one, which is pretty impressive back in the, in, in, the, in any of the SoundScan era because from one week to the next, a new album comes out, they usually jump right to number one because they're the biggest selling album that week. Yeah, it's, it's a, it was an interesting time and definitely after the heyday of metal in general. It, you, know. you know, as as much as you say that, what's weird about that is that year, 
Monkey Business came out mm-hmm. number one from Skid Row. Heavy, heavy album. Second Kick came out that year, but didn't go to number one or anything like that. Van Halen, I think, had an album in 91. I'm not sure. Wasn't it for Unlawful Carnal it Knowledge? It was in 1990. Maybe. Okay, we got to check that. And um, Use Your Illusions, one and two, both came out in 91. Like, this is, from, for the most part, hard rock. Those are hard rock, yeah. but, you know. Yeah, but I was more referring to he- heavy metal. Yeah, the, true. The, the heavy metal heyday, you know, in 1980s. Mm-hmm, right. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was very big and big hair. And, right. You know, metal's image had changed. It had to change. And oh, Thrash carried it for a little bit. Right, yeah. I mean, the following year, Megadeth would come out with Countdown. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, things were changing a lot in that time period. But for people interested in Metallica, you know, the Black Album, with all the with the five singles that they had, Enter Sandman was, was the most accessible song as far as being a rock song. You're um, right. So it came out in 91? Yeah, 91. So Van Halen's For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge came out in 1991. Um, going back to Metallica, um, it's the biggest selling album in the SoundScan era. It had been trailing behind Shania Twain for a while, but it eventually <laughs> it eventually painful. overcame and is the biggest selling album in the Soundscan era. Soundscan era began March 1st, 1991. Uh, ever since then, basically, sales for albums have been electronic. And then now with the advent of streaming and downloads, there's an additional part to that, to album sales. So the album is sitting around 16 million. It's probably a little bit more and they just haven't calculated it. Because apparently the album doesn't sell less than 5,000 copies a week. I find that amazing. Wow. At one point it was doing 1,000. It has never sold less than 1,000 a week. And they said it was currently doing about five, which is just incredible to me to think about that. But that also could be an old news data um, Mm -hmm. at that point. I saw that earlier today. So I would say it's probably not doing as much as that. Uh, But at one point to consider not doing less than 1,000 copies a week. I mean, that's pretty insane to think about. That's pretty crazy. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons why this is a popular album. I mean, how many times have you been to a baseball game when they played Inner Sandman? Oh, yeah. Basketball game, football mm-hmm. game. Everybody knows The Unforgiven, Wherever I May Roam. I mean, they're all huge hits that I've heard in so many different capacities. Yeah, for sure. Sad but true. That's sampled by um, Kid Rock. By Kid Rock, you yeah. know, sampled by Kid Rock, and then um, Avenged Sevenfold did a song very similar sounding. I mean, mm. they they almost ripped the song off completely. Okay. Uh, on one of their albums, I can't remember when it came out, which which song it was. The album is influential in many different ways. It was a landmark album, a landmark tour. It was, I mean, Metallica's biggest album, Metallica's bi- biggest tour for the most part. So it was the epitome of their heyday. Yeah, um, and it was a huge transition between their original thrash sound mm-hmm. and what was coming after with Load and Reload. Yeah, so it was it was quite uh, a change for a lot of fans. Although a lot of fan a lot they they brought in so many more new fans with this album as single after single after single began to come out, you know, people were like getting more and more on board. Old fans were fe- I guess some of the older fans may have been feeling left out. You know, or they they started to cry sell out, but they've been crying sell out since since Ride the Lightning. There's a video with Cliff that says, yeah, you know, if they think we sold out, so what? You know, if we wrote a song like Fade to Black, Fade to Black, that, yeah. you're talking about the second album, 
you know? I mean, I think for the most part, they didn't lose uh, any of their fan base. I mean, they lost a few people, I'm sure, with the with the transition of their mm-hmm. sound. But they had gained so many, uh, that, and there was a lot of fans that held on. I mean, there, there's... You can't give up on one album unless they just completely change to country music or something, you know? Right. And even then, some people still... I don't want to hear country talica. It's around. <laughs> <laughs> I, as a fan, you know, I, I embraced it. I got to see them in, in that tour. It was a great show. I mean, it was three hours long. Yeah. You know, it was an evening with Metallica. They had no opening act, and they came out, and from minute one to, to the end, it was just all all out blitz of song because i think at that during that tour they didn't really play nothing else matters that much i think they brought it in later on when it became a hit single which was probably a year later okay i mean the tour lasted almost three years because it started in uh no so it's yeah mo- uh, half of 91 all of 92 and all of uh, most of 93 so probably a good solid 22 months or something like that that's nuts you know i yeah. made used to do that and that was nuts but now they're doing the same thing, but they're only doing 50 shows a year. So now the shows are lasting three, four. I mean, the tours are lasting three, four years, but they're doing only 200 shows. Yeah, they're in, playing when they want to play, when it, when it works for all of them so right. that they can live their, their separate lives. Exactly. So for those people who are interested, Metallica, the Black Album, is one of the better albums to pick. Yeah, it's a it's a good starting point for heavy music, but still has an accessibility that maybe the thrashier albums don't necessarily have mm-hmm. to everyone. Right. It won't be a far transition for you to listen to the black album and then go back to injustice for all or pick up hardwired. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of these other albums that, uh, they're, they're definitely a little harder, mm-hmm. but, uh, that you can see where the, the transition's going. Right. Okay. So we're going to continue with, uh, guns and roses appetite for destruction. Produced by Mike Klink, uh, released in July of 1987. It's the debut album, even though they had already released their their uh, sing. Uh, the it was an EP. EP. Yeah. Uh, live like a suicide, even though it's not a live yeah. album. Right. Um, but it, it's to kind of mimic a, a live setting. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. It was an, it was an EP. It was also independent. You know, so this was their debut album on a major label. I. Don't even feel like I have to to list all the songs because everybody knows them. But welcome to the jungle. I mean, oh yeah. If that, you if, that's a, that's played at every football game, every baseball game. I mean, uh, so commercials. Yeah, it's been in movies. It's so easy. Night train out to get me. Mister Brownstone. Paradise City. My Michelle. Think about you. Sweet child of mine. Who hasn't heard that one? Uh, you're crazy. Anything goes. And Rocket Queen. You you listed twelve songs on the album. It's a twelve song album. It's crazy to think that each and every one of those songs are really damn good. Yeah, every and, single and one they're pretty well known. Yeah, I mean they've they've been on something or I think the weakest song on that album is Anything Goes. Probably the least known. I still like I like that song. It, a it lot. is a cool song. It's a very cool song. There's so much that's interesting about this album, also because this is this is the conglomeration of five guys that brought in songs that they wrote before they joined this band and it's it's all that stuff that they've been working on and building up and you know every great band ha- puts out that first album that's so raw and um, filled with emotion and this was it this was this was their chance to make it oh yeah this this was one angry album it had so much attitude yes attitude 
so yeah, there's five singles on the album, three videos. They reached number one in the United States, 18 times platinum, number one selling debut album of all time. It, that's quite impressive when you think about it because debut albums tend to sell well, well most of the time for, for popular you know acts. And there's a reason why, because you know, like everyone talks about, you've had a lifetime to record your first album. Oh, yeah. But in this case, I mean, this just far outdoes anything. I mean, it, this blows Boston's first album out the water. This uh, Foreigner's first album, all these, it, Led Zeppelin's first album. I mean, this, this thing is just far and away above all those albums as far as quality from beginning to end, you know, and then to think about how that band is in general, it, it's, it's, it's insane to think about how the, these five, those five guys got together and were able to actually do something like this. Yeah. Because it's so, but it's five like-minded people at the time, five people <laughs> that were, were driven for success, five people that are very talented. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the, album the product of so much angst and will and mm-hmm. just just so much emotion and you can hear it in every oh. note oh for sure because they're such a volatile band you know the, the next release that they put out is an ep basically reissue live like a suicide. live like a suicide on their major label but they add three more songs i mean four more songs all acoustic and you you would think that a band like that just wouldn't be able to put that together like that but at the same time, I mean, Patience is a huge hit for them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the other three songs were not bad. One was a remake, a redo of uh, You're Crazy, and then two other songs. Which is still a cool version of the oh, song. Oh, it's a very cool version. And they actually released another version of that song without the cursing in it. Mm-hmm. So, and that was, the one without the cursing was pure acoustic. The one that's on Lies is actually like an electric acoustic. To think they go from the, all that volatility to this sweetness if you want to call it that they still keep their sense of humor with you know uh she uh, used to love her you know and and still had the they had a killer (laughs) but um but who knew in 1987 they're releasing their debut album it wasn't long before they'd start imploding yeah exactly so yeah so unfortunately you know a couple years later things started to go sideways after they released their use your illusions albums well even before that they had to fire steven adler oh true I mean, he was just too... Strung out. Strung out for him. I mean, it was just... He he did record... uh, Civil War. Civil War. Mm -hmm. uh, But that was the only song that appeared on on Use Your Illusions that was from... Right, yeah. And that was a holdover from the Days of Thunder soundtrack. Mm -hmm. So, the album, 18 times platinum, that's insane to think about how many albums it sold. Uh, It is a great, great record from beginning to end. Uh, they even had controversy before it got released because they had a, 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 a the cover was a oh yeah a Robert was it Robert John who was the 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 artist I think so let me look it up while we're talking about it you know that cover controversy for a robot essentially standing over a woman that appears to be raped it's a cool cover but it just it says a lot about a brand new a brand new band putting out an album it ended up getting changed there's so much controversy in everything they were trying to do everything they would you know put out right. even the spaghetti incident has words at the bottom of the the, the cover that are in the zodiac killers uh, oh yeah that's right letters but by then they're doing it on purpose oh yeah <laughs> you know the they ended up changing the cover to to axel rose's tattoo 
of uh, the cross tattoo that has the the skull faces of the five members of the band. Robert Williams. Robert Williams. I knew yeah. it was a Robert that that had done <laughs> that had done it. So anyhow, Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction came out in 1987. That's the second album that we've talked about that is one of the biggest selling albums of all time, hard rock, heavy metal albums. And that's, that's the other thing too. My wife and I were having this discussion just last night. How do you categorize this album? Because it came, it came out mid to late 80s during a time where the metal bands, the hair bands, that, that's what they would eventually become, or for, for lack of a better term, glam metal, which we'll talk about in a little bit. That genre was at its height, okay? But Guns N' Roses, to me, in my opinion, was not a glam band. They had a look. Axl Rose had the look at the first album. So did Duff and and Duff. But but immediately, somewhere in the middle of the of that that Appetite tour, that look changed. I mean, Stephen Adler still even has the big hair. Yeah, but that's just big. (laughs) That's that's a that's a guy who can't get out of his own skin. I think the attitude carried it. I mean, they they were trying to fit an image at the beginning, but they they had clout. They had the ability to kind of do what they wanted to do. I mean, I'm sure a lot of the record labels were pushing bands to look a certain way. Of course. To to be a certain way. And I can't imagine they didn't do the same towards Guns N' Roses. But once they they started and they were so violent on stage and, you know, I, I, Axel was talking about how one time they were playing in South America and somebody uh, started, uh, there was a chicken on the stage and somebody, like the chicken... <laughs> fell off into the like he picked up the chicken and kind of pushed it off into the crowd and they ripped it into shreds <laughs> i mean they they were, they were just violent i mean that's, yeah. and it was just a attitude that's the best way to describe it i mean don't get me wrong i mean they're a great band she was describing them as a, a hair metal slash pop metal band type of thing i was describing them as more of a of a sleazy rock metal kind of thing you know so i always kind of picture them as just a hard rock band i mean right i mean they have tones of metal Mm -hmm. you know closer to an acdc type thing but at the same time you know they did tour with metallica so it was a big show and the people most of the fans of both those bands are able to gel together you know for the most part yeah especially because they were touring with them around the time that they were transitioning their sound right exactly so, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where it's hard to categorize Guns N' Roses, but most people are going to sit there and lump them into hard rock or pop metal. Again, when they did the Illusions albums, it was the same thing. It was it was all the different categories, you know, put into... Oh, two. those are like compilations almost. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much variety there. Yeah, there's a lot going on on those two albums. All right, so our next album that we're going to talk about is the biggest of the three. We're talking about ACDC's Back in Black. Now, for as hard as an album as that is, ACDC, to me, is a hard rock band. That album transcends into metal because of how hard that album hits. Yeah. Back in Black, you know, Shoot the Thrill, Have a Drink, I'm going to Shake a Leg. All those songs, I mean, shook not me all... Shook all night long. Yeah, I mean, You Shook Me All Night Long. All those songs... The whole album is not well known in terms of uh, of the the popularity of songs like like Appetite for Destruction, where all twelve songs are just almost known, like almost the average fan can like almost recite all twelve songs. But the big songs are that big. Exactly, Back in Black, You Shook Me, and Hell's Bells are that big that that album is so enormously huge. 
The album came out in, in July of 1980. <laughs> and, uh, and the paper says uh, yeah. August 1991. That's what you call cut and paste problems. <laughs> it was produced by Robert John Mutlang, the same guy who produced um, Highway to Hell, for those about to rock. And he did he did Def Leppard's biggest albums. Um, high, uh, what was it? Um, Pyromania. Pyromania, right? yep. Hysteria. Adrenalize, um, but the first album was uh, High and Dry, right? Uh, yeah, right. So he did he did all those records, so that that that's the 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 Mutt Lang touch. So it was ACDC's seventh or eighth studio album, and you say seventh or eighth because it depends on what you count, American or international. If it's American, it's the seventh that's, studio album. If it's Amer- if it's international, it's their eighth studio we album. We can do a whole episode, uh, on and we the will confusion confusion. <laughs> Of the albums of ACDC and <laughs> missing songs on various yeah. releases and where you can find them. Yeah, exactly. So um, the album itself had four singles off of it uh, with three videos. And for that time, they weren't really videos that, that you the way they got made later on a few years later. They were live concert videos of Back in Black, even though it was the soundtrack of the song, you know, they, them playing over the actual track. But it's them live in concert for the most part. Yeah, which they had done a few videos like Jailbreak before, right? Know, where, they, it, where it was a video, right? Exactly. But most of their their videos, especially during the Bon Scott era, were were they, they live were, performances. What's funny, you know, they Let There Be Rock was a conceptual video. Mm-hmm. Jailbreak was a conceptual video. I be, no, Highway to Hell was a live concert video. Live but it concert was still, video. Did he, didn't he do another one? It is a few. There was very few. And but, but, I mean, if you watch, like, say, for instance, watch Family Jewels, mm-hmm. which was the collection of, of videos from both eras, um, most of what you see on the Bon Scott disc is going to be live performances on right. some show or, you know, like a late night show, something like that. Right, right, right. Whereas if you're watching the, the Brian era, there's not very many live performances. It's all videos. Right. They did a video for You Shook Me, which actually later on they re-released the video or a video for them with different footage uh, because I think it was the Who Made Who album. They um, Yeah. yeah. They, it was the greatest hits and they, they had the, the song became popular again. It was the greatest hits. It had uh, a couple new songs or just the one? Two. Was it two new songs? Two new songs. And it was a soundtrack for Maximum Overdrive. Uh, oh, Stephen one of King your movie. favorite movies. I love that movie. <laughs> Anyhow, Back in Black is played at stadiums, Hell's Bells. I mean, how many people use that that bell? I mean, oh, that, that was Trevor Hoffman's signature introduction when he came out for the ninth inning to close for the San Diego Padres. You shook me all night long, Back in Black. Um, I mean, Shoot to Thrill was the lead song on Iron Man 3. That yeah, I mean, they, they even made a, a whole album of, I think it was Iron Man 2 soundtrack. It two? I it was yeah, three. it was Iron Man 2. Mm-hmm. It had a soundtrack of... ACDC songs, right? Exactly. And so, and then that that would be one ACDC compilation that would be considered their greatest hits, even though it was a soundtrack for a movie. Yep. So they're two greatest hits they've done, and they were both soundtrack. For they're movies. soundtracks for movies. So the album reached number four in the U.S. It didn't go number one. It was one of those slow builds. I mean, it did well right out of the box, but it was still one of those things that when you think about a year later, they put out another album, and this thing is still selling. It went to 25 million copies sold. And I think I read today it's in the 40 million range worldwide. 
which it's is crazy insane i mean the, the only album it is the number two selling album of all time behind michael jackson's thriller that's crazy to think about a hard rock heavy metal album being number two of all time which brings me to tell you d snyder is on a crusade to get acdc to play the super bowl next year it had nothing to do with the fact that J-Lo and, and Shakira played so much as it that they wanted someone to represent rock, metal specifically. And Dee Snyder's on this crusade. He's trying to get 100,000, 250,000, 500,000 signatures to shove it in Roger Goodell's face that people want to hear their metal slash hard rock. And the most accessible band to do that would be ACDC because of Hell's Bells, Back in Black, and You Shook Me, which are played at almost every single sporting event across the country. You said something that I have to bring up. I want to say I, I had read that the Eagles' greatest hits had actually surpassed Michael Jackson in sales. Um, and I, I don't know. I want to say that's the top-selling album of all time. So now I'm wondering if... If ACDC is number three? Is, now they're at number three. We're going to have to research this. We'll, we'll research this and come back to that another time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, we'll figure it out. If, but if at I one th- point, they I, were no, the definitely two. At one point. I think with the Eagles, I don't know how much the Eagles were outside of the U.S. Yeah. Because Eagles are really, I mean, they're almost country. You know, and in the 70s. Country rock, yeah. Yeah, in the 70s, country really didn't go outside of the United States, country music. Um, so that's not to say that the Eagles were country, but there was a lot of, of elements of, of country music that, that the Eagles played. So I can't sit there and say that they're going to be a worldwide phenomenon, whereas ACDC definitely was a worldwide phenomenon, as well as Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. Just to think that, you know, you, the two, let's put it, the three biggest albums in the world, the Eagles, Michael Jackson, and ACDC, such three different styles of music completely and to to think the entire world likes this stuff can gravitate towards those specific things that's interesting and acdc in particular it's just amazing as hard as they are how people just love listening to highway to hell back in black and all the stuff that they play all the time it's it's pretty incredible all right so moving on uh we've talked about the three biggest selling hard rock heavy metal albums of all time so for, for you newbies out there, heavy metal started in, for, for lack of a better time period, the late 60s, 68 if you're a Deep Purple fan, but that Deep Purple in 68 was not what you heard in 1971 or 70. 1969, Led Zeppelin released two albums. So a lot of people say it, it started right there because those albums, blues-based very heavy in some cases, very light in others. Um, so Led Zeppelin is a hard rock band. And then beginning of the following year, 1970, Black Sabbath comes out. And that's where everyone sits there and says, that's the birth of heavy metal. Even you know, though it's not really a heavy metal album. It's not, but it's, it's some heavy stuff. It's very heavy. And it's you can tell that's what's the genesis of, right. of metal right there. When you think about when anything starts, there's always... It has to start somewhere, and it's always mm-hmm. going to be not what it really ends up being. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Like, that's that's the general theme of things. Is right. it, it's, there's something that get like Venom? Venom is not a black metal band. 
but they are but they spawned what spawned black right. metal you know venom uh, slayer is part of that celtic frost and how you know hellhammer slash celtic mm-hmm. frost they were the beginnings of death or black metal depending on how you want to look at it you know and it's but they were more you know slayers a thrash band venom was a thrash band and celtic frost it's a cross between what would become again it's one of those things where it eventually evolved you know the the black metal scene and so like we talked about once before they really their recordings were so much better than anything in the black metal scene (laughs) (laughs) that was exactly you know how it is so Black Sabbath, even though the album doesn't sound like what heavy metal sounds like today or, or even in the 80s or in, in the 90s, it is definitely the beginning. I mean, the chords of, of The Wizard and Black Sabbath and, and NIB, all those things were, like you said, the genesis. And they definitely were the beginning of something of, of a movement that to tell today is still one of the strongest genres in the world. Yeah. But there's so many subgenres. I think you can really pick up, as far as for the, the hard rock end of things, I think you could really pick up any of Black Sabbath's first six albums. For sure. I mean, they're they a great entry point. They're all solid classic albums. That's probably a really good place to start. You could even pick up Rainbow, some of their first few albums, Long Live Rock and Roll, Rainbow Rising. Mm-hmm. Those would be a good start for the hard uh, 1970s kind of hard rock feel. Right, exactly. Like you mentioned, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, for, I mean Led Zeppelin is so accessible, but there there's so many elements that could be so hard from them. Mm-hmm. The fourth album is considered, you know, Stairway to Heaven is considered one of the greatest songs ever written, and it goes from absolutely minutely quiet with a with a flute to you know this really heavy guitar solo at the yeah, end. I love the guitar. Solo. I mean, it's incredible, and so and then it ends with this little quiet passage. It's crazy how good that song is. Seven minutes long. Yeah, it's pretty dynamic. Yeah, exactly. So there's so many different examples of stuff that you can listen to with all the subgenres. So now you got you, you go into the 70s, and the biggest thing with the 70s is you got glam rock, which is not the same as glam metal. To, to me, they're two different things. You know, the New York Dolls and Kiss and Alice Cooper being glam rock is not what Rat, Motley Crue, and Poison were in the, in the 80s. I can't, you can't compare them. So you, you go, you got your glam rock in the 70s and then as the, as the 70s are ending things are starting to get harder and harder and harder and you get into the new wave of british heavy metal which then turns into basically heavy metal as we kind of know it now you know that was you know black sabbath got harder with with uh heaven and hell ozzy got harder all those albums began get harder and harder so the subgenres began to develop as the 80s went along and then Brash started in 1982, 83, 82, uh, with, with uh, Metallica's uh, No Life to Leather demo. And from there, things have just splintered like crazy, you know, and there's so many different categories, alternative metal, progressive metal, melodic death metal, symphonic death metal, grindcore, black metal, hair metal, power metal, doom metal, groove metal, gent, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, there's just so many categories, but in the end... Everybody is linked by one thing, their love of metal. You can sit there and not like a category. I can sit there and not like a category. But the bottom line is somewhere along the way, that person or you or me are going to like something similar. Yeah. It, it's guaranteed. Let's go over some examples of some of these categories that we're talking about. And for some of the new people out there that's listening, this is going to be one of these weird things. Like 
we don't listen to a lot of this music, so we're not going to really go in depth with some of these bands. You might know them better than I do, and I might know some that are better. You're definitely going to know some of them, <laughs> some of them better than I do. Yeah. The bottom line is that for the most successful, we we talked about the accessible three biggest records, but pop metal or hair metal as it's known today is probably the next most accessible version. People don't care, you know, the 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 metalhead that you meet on the street might, you know, nowadays is not going to probably know a lot of that. They're going to know more of the new metal stuff, which slowly evolved into metalcore. Yeah, if you see a guy walking down the street with a black shirt with, you know, crazy letters on it that you can't read it, they're probably <laughs> not going to listen to Twisted Sister. That doesn't say that, that they won't. Right, but exactly. they might not. If you can't read it and it's got a lot of scribble all over it and it looks like spider webs, it's probably black metal. <laughs> probably. <laughs> or death metal of some sort. But it's it's crazy to think about some of those bands. I mean, when you look at the examples that, that I put on this list here of death metal, my example of death metal, what I kind of uh, heard, and I don't want to use the term grew up on because I didn't like death metal, the, the really guttural vocals that are completely hard to understand bands like cannibal corpse bands like six feet under morbid angel those bands i mean i don't i've never heard benediction but i'm pretty sure they're in that same category <laughs> to me we we've talked about this before is like, how do people understand it i mean do you stand there reading this stuff with the with the words in there every single time because i can't really imagine trying to learn the words for half i mean i think that's a big part of it i think i think a lot of people just love the attitude of what they're listening to, much like you know we talked about with Guns and Roses attitude, mm-hmm. and that they're in for the whole thing. I remember being a little kid and picking up an album and going through every aspect of it while the song's playing, reading the lyrics along. I can't imagine it's any different than that. I mean, you're right. just picking it. I, I did the same thing with Death albums, and right. I didn't. I can understand those. I mean, that I've never had a problem understanding what Chuck said, but I still did it. You know, I wanted to know well, right. every I mean, word. But that's, see, you you were in that CD period, you know, where people could still buy CDs and, and read the lyrics. And, stuff mm-hmm. and nowadays, kids, I don't know how they do it. I mean, unless they're going on the internet and downloading the lyrics. Yeah. You know, it, because they're not buying albums. So how are they learning the lyrics? Well, on the iPod, it used to show the lyrics of songs you, if you bought the song on iTunes. Right, but on iTunes, you know, they kept changing it. Some There was a period of time where one version of iTunes didn't have the lyrics at all. They took it mm. off. And people cried for it and they brought it back. And then the next version after that, you had to hit like three different... Um, Things to get to the lyrics, so it made it so hard to get to it. You almost didn't want to do it. And pressing three things, it's well. <laughs> the kids don't have patience for it. <laughs> oh shit! I didn't have patience for it because you know there used to be where you touch the album cover and mm-hmm. the lyrics would pop up. For yeah, that it just song. flipped. Right. Yeah. Then it became you touch the album cover, it gives you a list and stuff, and then you had to pick the, the, the lyrics. Okay. Then it became you touch the album cover, and then nothing happened because they didn't. Ha- they, they completely took it out. And it was touch the album cover, touch the list, and then when you touch the list, another album cover popped up again, and then you had to touch the list again, and to get to the lyrics, and then the lyrics would flip over, and, and so to get back, you had to hit three things to go back. It was a, really a pain in the ass. Mm. I have no idea what iTunes is doing right now as far as, as that's concerned, because I haven't downloaded anything from iTunes. I listen to Spotify, but even then, I still use iTunes, because I have, I have an iPhone, but it's supposed to be changing, and I haven't seen the new version of it. Gotcha. One thing that that um, 
you have shown me is death is different than all the other death metal bands, specifically for what I was surrounded. I wouldn't with. say all of them. I mean, I would say they were they were, you know, the they were the the early like kind of like Black like, Sabbath, like, like, right? Yeah. Exactly. They're, they're the originators of this this um, genre. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the ones who essentially created the genre because of their, of their name. They they did most of their stuff out of Tampa, right? Was, was that's where he started, yeah. right? Whatever that evolved very quickly with the cannibal corpses and the six feet unders and, and the the malevolent creations that every all the bands that came out of Florida or or went to Florida to record to get the death metal sound of of uh, Morris Sound Recording Studios, mm-hmm. it was all the same to me. It was just like all guttural. I mean, I I, I would rather hear death because it was more understandable. You know, he's screaming, but I can I'm I've learned how to deal with it now. I didn't learn how to deal with it back then because I didn't, I was like, what's with the screaming, you know? But eventually it became something you had to kind of get used to. <laughs> yeah. Death was more understandable. The band death was more understandable than, than any of those other Tampa but, bands. But what's typically called death metal now and just straight death metal is more like what you're saying. The, the cannibal corpses. Right. Those, whereas there's deviation into melodic death metal you know the Gothenburg sound, the, all these others that, mm-hmm. that yeah, that's where they deviated, and that's that's kind of where it, that follows Chuck more closely, right? Exactly, yeah. and even then, but like for instance, Amana Marth, they're from Sweden. There's that Swedish death metal, which or or Swedish melodic death metal, and you the, the Gothenburg sounds. They're, well, they're not really the Gothenburg, but they are melodic death metal. So when I listened to them for the first time. I quickly dismissed them. I was like, yeah, I can't deal with this. But then you introduced me to them in a weird way by telling me to listen to a cover of System of a Down and their the Ariel's cover that they did. It's not that I found it funny because it, it wasn't funny like, like in a bad way. It was humorous to me because it was so good, yet listening to them do this guttural sound, you know, Ariel's, you know, and it just, it was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, the, the music itself was awesome. And then, you know, the vocals did not, to me, did not detract from the song, which is the, the good thing about it. Bands like that, and then, you know, I got to listen to that. I still have trouble with some of the screaming vocals. Where, yeah. Where people just sound like they're ripping their vocal port- cords apart. American metalcore stuff is still tough for me because some of them are harder than others. Like Dahlia Murder. There's, yeah, there's you just know. so many varieties of, of the, the scream or the growl mm-hmm. or guttural growl like Glenn Benton, so deep, it's right. crazy. But yeah, there's just, there's such a variety out there. And that's kind of where we want to go with this is, you know, list a few different genres, mm-hmm. you know, pick a couple albums, where should you start with those genres? And, uh, you know, continue the Metal 101. Well, I guess this would be Metal 102. <laughs> well, we're still under the, the beginner's phase. But, you know, beginners can pick any category. You know, because if, if, say, a girl meets a guy and the guy's listening to death metal, her her introduction is going to be into death metal. Or, or, you know, or his, maybe he meets a girl that's into black metal. Well, holy crap, that's pretty cool. But <laughs> so you, 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 uh, the guy wants to sit there and learn about who Cradle of Filth is or who Behemoth is. He might go that extreme right off the bat. You know, you never know. So let's go over these these few categories that we got here. 
I was going to make a divorce joke there because you, you left it open for a second and then you started talking again, oh, right? Sorry. When I was about saying, because you said maybe he meets a girl and, you know, or, and he's listening to death metal and then they get married and divorced <laughs> five years because they can't agree on music. <laughs> exactly. I mean, things like that happen yeah. to people we know, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's one of those weird Raising things. Raising my hand. There you go. <laughs> All right, so let's let's go over these categories real quick. Okay, so let's let's go with what the '80s turned into. We have, start with pop metal, hair metal, right, pop hair metal. For me, the biggest band to come out of the '80s in the pop hair metal category would be Poison, and the the best album that they put out in the '80s would be Open Up and Say Ah. To me, that that's the defining line for pop hair metal as as far as I'm concerned for for the '80s. I mean, there's a lot of bands to pick from. Ton of bands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of hairspray was used. <laughs> there, God, it's it, there. There are a lot of good entry points. This is an odd one for me to say, but I gotta go with uh, you know Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. Shout at the devil because it, it's just such a big album. It's accessible. Uh, most people have heard the song "Shout at the Devil," but there, there's more than that. I mean, there's just a large number of songs on the album that people can just easily jump into and have probably heard. And even if they didn't know it was Motley Crue, they they're aware of it. You know, I, I get you. For me, you know, Motley Crue would my my album would have been Theater of Pain because mm-hmm. that was to me was even more uh, hair metal style. But I get you because I it was up between I, I didn't know if I wanted to put Shout at the Devil or or uh, Theater of Pain, but it's a good choice. Another genre to come out of the 80s was thrash slash speed metal. My favorite band of all time is Metallica. And I'm going to pick Kill 'Em All because when I first heard Whiplash, to me, I had not heard anything faster than that at that point in my life. And that was probably 1984, 1985. I can't remember exactly. And that just blew my mind away. I mean, I had heard ACDC. I had heard Judas Priest. Judas Priest's free will burning is nowhere near as fast as Whiplash. I thought that was crazy fast. And then I heard Whiplash. So that's that's my album to come out of the 80s for Metallica. Okay, I'm going to go with one of the biggest bands, another member of the Big Four, Slayer, with Rain and Blood. Um, and that was even faster. <laughs> yeah, even faster, even heavier. Even though it's heavy, even though it's it's loud and in your face, it's still a really good entry point because the songs are really good. There, it's It definitely has a mood to it, and it's understandable. Yeah, there's kind of a groove to that album too. Yeah. As fast as it is, there's definitely a groove to that album. So yeah, I and it and for for those people who want something short and sweet, Rain and Blood is pretty short and sweet in terms of total length. It is, but it it feels like a journey. Like it it even feels shorter than it is because it is so good. You're, it's exhausting <laughs> because it's so fast. Yeah, it never mm. stops. It's in right. your face the whole time. It does have lulls and ebbs and flows, but even those are, you know, not they're faster than they're, normal. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you get to the last song and it kind of slows down. It's got uh, the rain coming down and mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, the drums, ba ba ba. You know, it, it's oh, yeah. it's bleeding into something and it gets even more exciting. So, but yeah, it's a great entry point into the uh, thrash realm. So to come out of thrash, late eighties, middle eighties to late eighties, several different categories got spawned: black metal and death metal specifically. And they all started technically by bands that were in the early 80s, but eventually it just grew into this category that eventually splintered because I would think everything kind of started in the deathy kind of way and they were talking about the same types of things and then one went completely in a, in a tangent 
tangential black, direction. Black metal was it came about by guys that were kind of sick of the overproduction, the guitar solos, you know, the grandioseness of it, and mm-hmm. they they just wanted like pure attitude and i mean it shows because there was no production <laughs> and most of them was filmed and you know or not filmed but uh, recorded inside of you know a boom box uh, yeah <laughs> like you had your mom's tape recorder and recorded the, the, your live album with you know 16 people there uh, and that was it it was just is all about the the attitude but some of the bands that that started black metal category like a Celtic Frost or a Merciful Fate or Hellhammer before Celtic Frost, those bands did not play the way black metal bands play now. No, and you wouldn't necessarily categorize them as black metal until now Right, it's viewed as black metal. But at the time, it was At the time, it was Speed and Thrash. Yeah. And specifically, Merciful Fate and Celtic Frost. I mean, they were totally thrashy. Mm-hmm. The song topic was what became death uh black metal mm-hmm. you know the the antichrist stuff the atheist the atheism all that stuff yeah for me in that category i'm not familiar with too many uh i do know dark throne what came out with an album called transylvanian hunger i think it was called and that album for i i, I was so curious when i used to run a record store i saw that record and i was like let me what what does this sound like <laughs> I, I opened it up and i was floored not in a good way, but I was floored by how bad it sounded and how much it just sounded like a record skipping across the entire and <laughs> the entire the, the needle skipping across the entire record. Just just no production. None whatsoever. On the vocals, on the guitar, nothing on the drum. It was just terrible. That's that's the only album and but from from what I understand, that is a seminal black metal album. Yeah. It exemplifies the mood and everything that was black metal. Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess we have to uh, address the big one. Uh, they just made a movie about this band. I guess it was last year. I think so, at the or beginning of last the year, year. Maybe the end of last year, or the year before. Uh, but De Mysterious Dom Satanis by Mayhem, the kind of originators of, of what is really black metal. Right. I mean, not not the influence and what got it there, but, but the guys who like wrote the book on what black metal should be. Yeah. Um, so much so they killed themselves. Yeah. Two members, <laughs> sort of kind of. two members of the band were killed mm-hmm. uh, during the whole, you know, production of this album. And you have two, you have the murderer. Did I say two members of the band? You did say two. One of them, killed himself he wasn't murdered right one killed he, himself. he killed himself he he doesn't appear on the album but his lyrics do and then the other one was uh murdered by another band member who you know if you want to know more about the story i would i would read it online it's been re- repeated so many times most people know about mayhem it was also associated with the uh the church burnings in in uh yeah it's definitely the the yeah. you know black metal album if you want to start into black metal, right? Which I don't you know may who. or you may not want to, <laughs> right? So we kind of briefly talked about death metal already. So my, I, I don't even know who to pick. I have a a, I've been listening to for some reason. I some, mean, I can pick two if you want me to. Y- you're gonna have to because I've I've never listened to a full death metal <laughs> album all the way through. A real death metal, like nothing from Cannibal Corpse or Cattle Decapitation. Yeah, very interesting covers. 
you know. <laughs> but I mean, the only thing I think I, I've heard, I can sit there and say I've heard on a regular basis has been six feet unders, what they call those graveyard classics, mm-hmm. and those are all cover songs. But I just I'd listen to them to laugh because they're just so <laughs> out, off the wall. <laughs> but he did, um, I think, Graveyard Classics Volume Two is a full on cover of Back in Black, the whole album, beginning to end. Oh, it's, either really? vol- it's either Volume 2 or Volume 3. So he did the whole album. I'm not going to say it doesn't count. I say him because... It doesn't count into the genre, but it's, it, you know... But he, it did get, it in the, he did it in the style of the you, genre. Yeah, if he bridges <laughs> you into it, that's... No, but that's that's what I was saying. That's the only thing that yeah. I've heard. And that's um from... What, what's the singer's name from Six Feet Under? Barnes? Yeah, it's the original singer from... Uh, from Cannibal, Cannibal Corpse. Corpse, right. yeah. So his last name is Barnes. <laughs> um, so for death metal, I mean, I got to go with my boy's death. Right. That's your um, human. Uh, okay. It's got it's got a lack of comprehension on it, which is a pretty well-known song. It's a really solid album. Featured on the album are Paul Masvidal and Sean Reinert, who were both in uh, Cynic. Um, so even can go in a different direction there. But it's really accessible music-wise. The lyrics take a little bit more. I mean, not the lyrics. I'm sorry. The vocals take a little bit more to get used to if you're trying to get into the death metal range. But it's it's got really interesting song topics. I mean, lack of comprehension is just about people not understanding each other. You know, there's mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of musical value in the 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 songs, but there's also a lot of value in the lyrics that he is putting down. And at this point in the band, they were evolving more into social topics. So it's getting away from the the, the gory blood. Yeah, and stuff. like the early you know start to the band where it was all about you know blood and guts and you the know shock value. Yeah, maturity. You know. Yeah. And for number two, let's go with Morbid Angel. Another really cool death metal band, Altars of Madness. It's a it's an album that uh, every death metal fan is probably well aware of. David Vincent on vocals has a pretty pretty good range vocally for a death metal guy. You know, has <laughs> a has a high <clears throat> and a low. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, another classic that uh, it it's just kind of rip roaring and gets you going and and stays exciting the whole album. That's cool. Maybe I'll throw give it a spin, right? I I just I don't know. I mean, to me, the re- I think the, uh, we owe it to ourselves to listen to we, all of these albums. We do, um, but what I the reason why I say that like that sarcastically is because there is so much out there that I want to listen to. Oh no, it's that just I, never I'd rather had the time. not listen to that because I want to listen to something else that probably would be more enjoyable. I think for for what we do here, we do need to give ourselves the opportunity to understand what it is that we're talking about more so than what we already know. I think during this whole experience, I mean, just 10 episodes in, I've opened up to more things just talking about some of these things and the stories behind them. And, and I think that's a, it's an important thing to do is, is keep your ears open and listen to something because even though the first time you listen to it, maybe it didn't hit you the right way, but somewhere different, uh, you know, a different time in your life, it comes in and you go, okay, well, I can relate to this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's just stuff. I mean, there's a couple of deathy things that I've heard recently that I'm like, this is not bad. All right, so moving on from death metal, let's let's stay in a similar genre. The the Gothenburg sound or that scene. Mm-hmm. What is that that called exactly? Well, 
it's melodic death metal. All right, so it's melodic death metal. Mm-hmm. So there's, but there's different categories of melodic death metal, correct? Yeah, and the Gothenburg sound was more. It originated in, in Sweden, mm-hmm. and it's. I mean, it's pretty distinct in that regard. I mean, I guess it was originated by At the Gates. Okay, and that was uh, Slaughter of the Soul, which is a seminal album. I mean, it's it it just uh, very melodic. A lot more range, a, a lot more variety, a different take on the genre, and and what what's exciting about it is it it introduced more of a uh, you know like what, what what bands were doing with guitar solos in hair metal, mm-hmm. you know that that was kind of brought back into death metal. Okay, so you had you had that melodic sensibility, but not the you know high vocals and singing about you know parties and stuff like that parties and getting laid yeah right still singing about um you know mythology and dragons and all kinds of stuff yeah <laughs> so at the gates slaughter of the soul slaughter of the soul okay so that's that's the seminal album for that i'm not aware of any others that i know i'm, I'm not i'm not into that okay. stuff so what's another album that you would pick out I would have to go with In Flames, Clay Man, and I think I've talked about it before, but the only reason I picked that specific album is because it is still the Gothenburg sound, mm-hmm. you know, before they kind of changed their sound as well. But it's it's the most mature album. It has the, the cleanest vocals of the that era of their, their music. And it, to me, was one of the albums that bridged me into listening to, to death metal. Not 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 death metal, but melodic death metal. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So so bringing it back to this side of the uh, Atlantic, in the late '90s, it, another genre began to emerge, uh, and it, it was what they call new metal. And actually started in the early '90s. Um, and we're we're skipping right over the uh, the grunge scene because it's not all metal. Some of it was metal, but not all of it. So the the new metal scene that came out in the mid the mid 90s basically started with corn and it was that drop c almost drop b seven string guitar sound with in, ter- in, in terms of corn to me they didn't they weren't like a rap band cuz some of these new metal bands combine rap with with metal but they they the whole down tune slow chuggy sound um, mixed with relatively clean vocals whining and, and whining and you know about you know how you, you know you were just having a bad day but, <laughs> but which eventually turned into um, bands like disturbed limp biscuit Lincoln Park nonpoint otep and slipknot being the biggest band to emerge out of that scene I mean they they I, I almost put don't put them in the new metal category. But they're they're lumped inside there because the first album had elements of of kind of rapping, but it wasn't really rap. It wasn't a, like a a guy who's sitting there trying to do hip hop in the middle of a song. It wasn't like Rage Against the Machine. He was talking during parts of the song to the point where he actually Corey Taylor actually did a rap for Soulfly for Max on on Soulfly's second album Primitive. I'll go with the Slipknot and I'll go with their first album the self-titled debut because that album is what broke the doors open for everything that came out of the early 2000s, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. And 
they are probably the biggest band. That, I would say the second biggest band in the world right now behind Metallica. So what do you have? You can pick a second. <laughs> um, I'm going to go. So so the other end of new metal uh, is something similar. What I like a lot, Disturbed. Okay. And I'm going to go pick their second album, Believe, where they, they got away from a song from Stupefy, which was real popular. And the way they had that song, to me, that was like, that's like Godsmack. And it was that, that, that song that says Go Away a lot. Jeez, I can't remember the name of the song. But that song was so different from everything else that, that Godsmack did that it didn't make sense. Same thing with Disturbed. Stupefy is so different from everything else that Disturbed does that it didn't make sense. So the second album was more consistent, more cohesive. That's why I like Believe. So... For those people who like who want to get into Disturbed, Believe is is a pretty good album to get into. If you if you're trying to remember what the name of that song was that with the lyrics, it was called "Go Away." Oh, was "Go Away." <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't remember if the, the the song was called "Go Away." That's that's what I'm seeing here. Song "Go Away" song by Godsmack. Okay. All right, so it, it is "Go Away." <laughs> that that song is so different from everything else on the album. It's too catchy. I mean, they got Or maybe catchy. it's called whatever. I that's think, what it is. I think people call it go away because that's the lyric. Right. It, that it is whatever. That's the, that's the name of the that's song. That's going to irritate somebody listening to this guy. <laughs> no! <laughs> exactly. Whatever was the name of the song. That's why we love metal fans. I, I couldn't remember for the life of me. Whatever. Exactly. That out, the, the, the song is catchy. It's cool. It was their, It's a big hit for them, but they. it was so different from everything else that they did to me, like their second album was more cohesive. It was all very similar sounding songs. Same thing with Disturbed. That's why I would rather pick Believe as, a, as an album for people to, to get into with Disturbed because it's more consistent, cohesive. It's it's all sounds the same. Mm-hmm. Although, Down With The Sickness is a pretty cool song. <laughs> so, I like their later stuff better where it's, it's more of a storytelling. I like that. So another big category that I wanted to mention is power metal. And uh, I know you know a little bit about power metal. I know a little bit about power metal. I'm not big into it, but I can sit there and say this. One of the b- earliest bands, and, and they were like this from the beginning. They weren't considered heavy, uh, a power metal. Manowar. Mm-hmm. I was a big early Manowar fan. But they're, yeah, now they're definitely considered a power I mean, metal band. They are what power metal is. Yeah. And even then, in 1982, and 83, and 84, they didn't really change much. You know, they were still singing with the high vocals. They were still singing, you know, about Valhalla and all that stuff. Almost Viking metal to a degree. Barbarians. And, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But they, what they sing now is the same thing they sing, sang back then. And the, the, the style hasn't changed. But they weren't called power metal back then. It eventually evolved. But they were, to me, they were the originators. Them and Accept, you know, because Accept evolved and I mean they, but they weren't power metal. But the way that their, the way the music was with all the double bass that they that they put on like fast as a shark, that to me is a power metal. But although it's considered the first speed metal song, who knew? Yeah, you know? I would say they're speed metal. They're not really power metal, um, because power metal to me, like when I hear power metal, and this would be the one I'm, I'm going to mention, is Angra. I mean, Angra, South American. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, just a, a little bit different sound, but power metal is all that, that like glory and, 
you know, let let's fight battle to the death and right. You know. And that man of war. Yeah, <laughs> but but uh, uh, okay. The first album for for uh, Angra uh, is uh, Angels Cry, where you see a really dynamic range of the singer Andre Matos, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. Hmm. Um, but he he actually did a cover of a Kate Bush song wow. on the album. He he's singing these high notes and the carry on, which is the big song that most people would know. I mean, you're going high, high, high up there in the range, and he's he's just amazing singer. Um, so most of those power metal singers are. Yeah, they have that, and that the one I was mentioning earlier that uh, East of Black. Mm-hmm. Um, what's like I said, he I mean he can hit all those notes like in like in that uh, Frozen song. Right, right. Yeah, power metal, I mean, it, those guys are, can sing. Mo, mm-hmm. You know, you have to be a good singer to get to get through there. You cannot be, you know, middle of the range. Yeah. And what will appeal to you if you like if you, you know, like power metal is is that the melodic sound of the the music and mm-hmm. you know, the exciting highs and lows and So, <clears throat> just a few categories left and we're not really going to get into too many of them. Alternative metal is pretty much what's out there now. It's so many different things. I mean, yeah, some of the bands that you mentioned in new metal right, fit exactly. into alternative metal. Exactly. Progressive metal. To me, that's a small little category. You know, obviously the biggest band in that category is is uh, Dream Theater. Dream Theater, yeah. Um, you know, Queensryche is kind of reestablished themselves into that category. You know, so the new wave of British heavy metal is just a completely weird, different subcategory, you know, with so many bands coming out of the 80s. But that was so almost an underground movement. And the bands, as soon as they got signed, they, their sound changed completely, mm-hmm. you know. And the last one I'm going to mention, and it's because we can mention this one band, the Groove Metal, okay, came out of Thrash Metal. And the one band that literally cemented Groove Metal was Pantera. Mm-hmm. They changed from a hair metal band virtually overnight. They became a Groove Metal band um, with their debut album, and, and more so with the second and third, obviously, but... They, the Cowboys from Hell. I mean, yeah, that's a, a groove and a half right there. So they cemented themselves as the the beginners, originators of groove metal. So for anybody who's out there who wants to listen to some cool groove metal, anything from Pantera, basically, well, not the later stuff. <laughs> Great Southern Trend Kill wasn't as groovy. It's not as groovy, but it's still heavy. Oh, album. it's yeah. still heavy, but yeah, the groove is found. It's in not the, a good starting. Point. No, yeah, you got to go start. You got to take the journey with Pantera. With Pantera, you definitely have to take the journey because each album is a progression of harder and faster. Yep. Uh, even though War Nerve has got groove to it on Trend Kill, but you have to build up to that because yeah. it, it's it, going backwards is very difficult because it changes so dra- dramatically. We have mentioned all these categories, and hopefully. Someone listening will understand there's so many different things that they can get out of metal in so many different categories and so many different bands and so many different styles. Pick one, you enjoy it, and go see a show. That's the most important thing is go see this live because it's outstanding. That's the best thing I could tell you. I mean, this, this year, my goal was to go see a concert every month, and hopefully that continues. Unfortunately, we're you know dealing with this... Uh, virus that's out there but one thing that's opened my my eyes is that i went to see a couple shows that i probably wouldn't have just gone on my own i enjoyed the heck out of them i found something to enjoy in every every show so get out there go see bands that's the way they're making money to uh, support these guys 
and uh, just go enjoy yourself because I, I guarantee you, you'll find something. If you're opening up your ears, you'll find something to, that you love. For sure. And, and if you see a show in a, in a local club or small venue, do understand a lot of these guys, they're, they're not rich and famous. You know, the, the ones that are rich and famous are the ones on the big stage, big arenas and the big stadiums. Those guys that are rich and famous guys, but the ones that come to the to the small venues, the House of Blues, or the even smaller venues like in Houston, the Warehouse Live or Scalp Bar, those guys have, probably have day jobs and they just have a, a thing where they can take time off and go on a small tour. So definitely support them. You know, buy the CDs, buy a T-shirt, buy something. You know, buy them a beer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> mo- most of those guys will come out after the show and go hit the merch table and they will hang out with you and buy a, you know, and you know, sign anything that you buy. But if you buy them a beer, they'll love you even more. <laughs> so, and they'll definitely take a pick with you. Yeah. Just, I'll, I'll say one last thing with along those lines. Mm-hmm. I have a good story to tell on that one. Um, a friend of mine, of mine, I've mentioned a couple of times, George and I went to go see a band called Obscura and we were standing talking to this guy that was at their merch booth. He's wearing glasses had his hair and a, and a ponytail and we were just talking about music for about 10 minutes and my friend asks hey uh what do you do for the band and he goes oh i'm i'm the singer and the guitarist <laughs> and we didn't even realize it because he had grown like a light you know three-day beard and he had glasses on and you know like i said his ponytail and that that's never the image that you see when in the uh the the photos that right, they take exactly. and so it was just a lot of fun talking to the guy because we were just talking about bands and what was what was so funny too was that he he said you know it's really good to hear you know this this kind of music and I, I say he I'm talking about George he says I, I I I love you know hearing this music it's technical death metal you are doing what uh, Chuck Schuldiner was graduating to you know you're continuing on the tradition of what he said and you sound to me like what what how things would have evolved had he continued living being such a big fan and it was just a genuine gesture it was him saying how he really felt when uh stefan the singer heard that he he got very emotional (laughs) because it was it was nice to hear you know just have a genuine conversation with fans yeah that's that's definitely what it's all about all right so we have come to that part of the show where we talk about the big four category. And this week's big four is comeback albums. And that was a little difficult to categorize because, you know, how did you define a comeback album? I had my own definition. Chris has his own definition. But I think no matter what we pick, there's some sort of story behind each one of these albums. So let's go for it. What do you got? All right. I'm going to start number four. I'm holding up five fingers for some reason. <laughs> My thumb didn't respond. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm going to start number four with the softest choice I imagine I'll ever make. Wow. What's and that's that? Red Hot Chili Peppers, a hard rock band uh, with Californication. Okay. That's different. That's uh, You'll never hear me pick something like this again. But the reason why. Is, That's the album after Dave Navarro left, right? Yes. Okay. So they they put out their uh, their most popular album to date, their biggest album. Everything falls apart with Dave, uh, with uh, John Frusciante, uh, just not liking the lifestyle. They're getting into drugs more heavily than ever. You you go through several years where 
John has just completely retreated into the life of drugs and they've brought on Dave Navarro to kind of change the sound, try to be heavier. It didn't really work. And the band's kind of at a crossroads. It reaches a point in John Frusciante's life where he basically realizes he's going to die if he doesn't continue or if he continues doing things. And at one point, yeah, he's fine with it. And then at one point he, he realizes that this has got to change and it happens all kind of at the right time. Mm -hmm. He goes back into the band. He's cleaned himself up. He's, I mean, he lost his teeth at one point. He, you know, he's, he's got false teeth, uh, prosthetic teeth. It, It was a, it was a, not just a comeback album, but it was a comeback for the band. It was a comeback for their humanity. It was a comeback yeah. from from the, the darkest depths that they could be at. And what could be more metal than than reaching the lowest lows you can pro- possibly reach? Um, and so, and I mean metal in attitude and not metal in, right. in music. I mean, this, this show is all about hard rock and heavy metal. So yeah. I would definitely include that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on the heavier end of the spectrum, and I and I I just love the story of 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 redemption there, and so I'm I'm going to pick Californication. Cool, um, I like that album. Number three, um, I'm going to go with uh, Heaven and Hell with uh, the Devil You Know. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the Black Sabbath, right? Uh, reformed with Ronnie James Dio, then they decided to do a little bit of touring with Ozzy as well. And not to to cause issues with that uh, experience, not just you know with the touring aspect and fans not knowing who they're going to see, but also you know the the licensing, everything involved that the the egos between Ronnie and and Ozzy. and Ozzy, it was necessary for them to to change what their act was, even though it's the same band that was touring, <laughs> right. and uh, they they changed their name to Heaven and Hell. And they released a an album called "The Devil You Know," and it is a solid, yeah, very solid Black album. Sabbath style death, yeah, mm-hmm. not death, uh, Black Sabbath style metal album, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it fit right in the vein of those first two albums, right. the, uh, the Heaven, Heaven and Hell, and, Hell and, and the Mob, Mob Rules. Rules. Right. Uh, not so much as Dehumanizer, but that's kind of an oddity anyway. But what's weird is that one song, um, it sounds, Eating the Cannibals, reminds me a lot of Dehumanizer. Yeah, it sounds like it could possibly be a holdover from right. those sessions. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool album. If you haven't listened to it, definitely pick it up because it is the last <laughs> album that's released with Ronnie James Dio. And it's it's a great one. It is. It's a very good album. All right, so uh, number two, I'm going to go with Judas Priest with Angel of Retribution. I knew you were going to put that in there somewhere. Well, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's kind of obvious. Uh, it's a um, great album. I, I actually listened to it over the weekend, and I realized how good that album actually is. It really is. It, and what's cool to me is it not only picks up style-wise, right where they left off with Painkiller, but what's cool about it is that it brings those themes back in. You have him singing about the painkiller. You know, this the the song, uh, Angel of Retribution, he says the painkiller rises again. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he brings in all those stories that he was telling with 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 uh painkiller and continues, but not only that, but brings in, you know, some of the 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 the, the, the heroes from other songs from earlier albums 
And if you really listen, there's a lot of themes that are repeated. So it's it's almost like a tribute to what they were doing, you know, in in that era of their music. But it's it's also something new. Right. He got into that habit a lot because on on Halford's Resurrection, mm-hmm. the uh, song "Made in Hell," no, uh, "Born to Raise in Hell," that yeah. song it has a story from beginning to end of what his life was like from priest. To Halford, I'm mean, excuse me, priest to fight to two to Halford. I mean, he mentions two almost specifically, but yeah, um, it's pretty pretty interesting song. And then to to continue that in priest, I mean, it, it definitely the angel of retribution. The whole that whole song, it's 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 a comeback for sure. Yeah, and and that being said, like I like the Ripper era. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you told me, but there's a lot of bands that don't. Uh, I mean, bands. There's a lot of fans that don't, and. Um, it's it is a comeback though because it's 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 bringing back that old sound. I mean, they oh, changed their sound when they were with Ripper. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. darker, tuned down. They were know. trying to be what the '90s was giving them, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it didn't work, unfortunately. I mean, it worked a little bit, and the albums weren't bad. They had some really good high points, but but nothing. But, with but the, the fans expect what they expect, and when exactly. they're not hearing Halford, it's it's different. Yeah. So in the same vein. Iron Maiden, Brave New World. That's my number one. Your number one. And you take a band that puts out amazing album after amazing album, you know, in the same vein of, of Black Sabbath. Just those first six albums were just nonstop amazing. Mm-hmm. You got two albums that were pretty good, and then you got the Blaze Bailey era, which is very hit or miss for people, and mostly miss. Mostly miss. And actually, you know what? The funny thing is, more people are appreciating it now, now than ever before. Yeah, it's it's that's absolutely true. But then again, that has something to do with Bruce singing those big songs from those albums, and it has something to do with the longevity of the band. That's you know, they, there's a lot of new fans that are picking up albums, starting with Brave New World, because mm-hmm. it is it is a new era of the band, even though it's the original lineup, not the original lineup, the the classic the lineup classic plus one. Classic plus <laughs> classic plus one, but what it what this era brings it, it's just, that first album is just solid from beginning to end, mm-hmm. and it and it was reinvigorating for the the fans. It was reinvigorating for the band, everyone involved, and that to me is the biggest comeback for any of these major bands. For sure, definitely. Okay, so my big four comeback albums. Uh, I'm going to go number four with Armored Saint, Symbol of Salvation. That album, the band had just lost Dave Pritchard. uh, The original guitarist. The original guitarist. I mean, these five guys that are in this band are like best friends since they were kids. You don't see many bands like that. I mean, these kids, these guys knew each other as kids. They grew up and they put a band together and then their best friend dies and they bring in a friend of theirs, Jeff Duncan, who now since that album, the band has been the same since that album of the the five guys. And they bring in a guy, Jeff Duncan, who basically, you know, to, to, he's not replacing Dave Pritchard so much as he's, he is the other guitar player that they need to be in the band because they, they play with two guitars. It happens to be, I say it's a comeback album because the band basically, when Dave Pritchard died, did not want to come back. They did not want to continue to perform. But they had all these really cool demos. So they got encouraged by uh, Brian Slagle, 
the, the, the head of Metal Blade Records to go ahead and record the songs. And they did. And it, it is from front to back one of the most amazing heavy, pure heavy metal records to, to ever be released. It's, it's dedicated to Dave Pritchard. And it's, a, it's um, I mean, from first note to last note, it's a great album. Unfortunately, it did not bring new heights to the band. And John Bush would leave to join Anthrax shortly thereafter. Um, but he eventually came back and the band reunited and did another a uh, few, several albums, and they're getting, they're getting ready to release a new album soon, <clears throat> all these years later. This album was released in 1991, 91 or 92, and he left, you know, we all know the story of, jo- of John joining Anthrax, and then, you know, in the mid-2000s, he comes back. So, that's my number four. It's a great album, Symbol of Salvation, Armored Saint. Right, number three, Slipknot, point five, The Grey Chapter. I picked that one because, uh, again, another death in the band. They lose Paul Gray, the bass player, to drugs and alcohol, essentially almost ending the band at that at that moment. Well, didn't he once say, and I, I mean, Corey Taylor, didn't he say that the band would never continue if they if it wasn't the the original lineup? Yeah, yeah originally it was it was one of those things where they 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 couldn't consider continuing on without the original nine mm-hmm. and even though that original nine wasn't the original nine he was a, he was a second singer of the band um but for for what it, what they became and the fame that they uh, acquired those nine guys amazingly enough nine guys he didn't want to continue if those guy those nine guys weren't there but obviously in life things change he changed a lot because he re he reestablished his old group stone sour and Along with Jim Root from Slipknot, they they went to to Stone Stone Sour. Jim Root eventually left Stone Sour because he couldn't do both. And if he continued to do both, him and Corey were not going to be friends. So he left for the good of he left for the good of Stone Sour, which was the better for Slipknot. That being said, the the Gray chapter was was um, basically their tribute to Paul Gray. I mean, there's a really good song on there about Paul Gray. But at the same time, they also lost their drummer, Joey Jordanson, for, don't know the exact reasons. Um, Joey says there were some physical things that he couldn't do. He no longer could play drums at one point or he wasn't physically able to. There's more to that story, um, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so they brought in Jay Weinberg, uh, the drummer, uh, what do we call it, Max Weinberg's son. Uh, kid, drummer from Bruce Springsteen that was on Conan for years. Right, yeah. He, <clears throat> that kid is an amazing drummer and has a style that just fits Slipknot to the T. Um, he plays. De- he definitely plays different than Joey. He definitely fits the band to a T. And he's been a fan of Slipknot since he was a little kid, which is crazy that he was given the opportunity. I think he was the only drummer that they actually uh, auditioned for that album. So that was a definitely a comeback because the band almost you know just fell apart after Paul died. And then with trying to put the album band back together, then Joey just you know leaves. So that's my number three, Slipknot point five, the great chapter. My number two is Anthrax, worship music. For all the trials and tribulations that Anthrax went through in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, they tried a third singer when when John Bush decided not to come back after they had basically unceremoniously pushed him aside to bring Joey back for a reunion, um, which I think was kind of a messed up deal for, for oh, John. A very messed up you know? deal. So it's John, it's and, like a betrayal. 
Yeah, and then he actually came back and did some shows, but I think that was more of an obligation. But John's a good guy, too. He is a good guy. So they they asked Joey to do worship. Uh, no, excuse me. They Joey quit. They asked John back in the band. He says, I'll do a few shows, but I'm not committing. He was basically fully committed back to being an armored saint. Plus, he had a regular day job. Yeah, he was working on uh, Burger King commercials, wasn't it? <laughs> he, yeah. he was doing all sorts of things. He was he, doing voiceover work that was paying of, really well, and he exactly. was able to... Steady paycheck. Yeah. Especially when being out of the band, he wasn't getting that steady paycheck anymore. So he um, he said, no, I'm not going to do it. And so then Anthrax decides to bring in Dan Nelson, which was a mistake. They acknowledged that mistake by firing him. <laughs> and that, that's not a complete acknowledgement, but it's an acknowledgement. And they brought Joey Belladonna back. Now, the album worship music was pretty much written and done with Dan on vocals. And they scrapped all the vocals and they had Joey redo them. And it's a damn good album. I mean, it is what you call a return to form. Is it, what's cool? I uh, I like about that album is his voice is much more mature than it was when he first was with the band. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's it's a bit lower. It's a bit lower. The register is mm-hmm. definitely lower. Yeah. And 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 what was really cool about it was that they allowed him to do whatever he wanted. They gave him the tapes. Him and Jay Rustin, I think, was the guy who produced his vocals on the album. And they went into the studio by themselves, and he knocked it out. It, it's a hell of an album. You know, it's it's definitely a comeback album for Antex. I mean, it was 21 years between Joey albums, and that's a pretty cool thing. And my number one is the same as your number one, Iron Maiden's Brave New World. Talking about comebacks, as you mentioned before, the, the two albums with Blaze just didn't go anywhere. When Bruce came back, they put him in the studio. He re-records Wrathchild. They put it on, on the Greatest Hits album. You could feel the energy on that song. Now, we talked about it a few weeks ago on, on, on the covers stuff that we talked about. And uh, Brave New World is definitely, beginning to end, is an amazing record. I mean, just to hear Adrian come back and playing Wicker Man, that, those first chords that come out, it, it's, it's an incredible album. I mean, for anybody who has not heard that album from Iron Maiden, you need to go out and get it right now because it's, it's an incredible comeback album. Yeah, I mean, from, from beginning to end, it's a solid rocker. I mean, oh, yeah. it's it's exciting. There's a, there's a, a few spots that kind of remind me of uh, uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. You there's know, where, in there, yeah, yeah. And it, so there's these these moments that harken back to the old days, but there's there's a lot that's new. Oh yeah, I mean, you could tell that 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 the style that they developed with Blaze. Now I don't know if this was a conscious effort that that maybe Bruce didn't want to go into when they when they finished Fear of the Dark that they wanted to try and make more progressive music, they, they wanted to make longer songs. I don't know if that was something that was a conscious effort, but to make a whole new album with a, with a with a brand new singer and start off the album with a ten minute song, Sign of the Cross, you knew right then and there Iron Maiden changed. So for those two albums, then they progress into Brave New World and they and they bring back Adrian and, and Bruce, which have different writing styles and just so much energy too. Oh, and the energy. So to, to, to meld those three writing styles together, uh, and, 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 and Yannick was, was writing stuff too. He, and he still does, you know, but those three particular writing styles with, with Steve, Bruce and Adrian, to bring that element back into the band, brought in new life, new songs. And, and it was just incredibly good. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's continued to this day. Basically the four albums that they've recorded after that, you know, in 20 years, they've done five albums. <laughs> and supposedly there's another one in the can coming out pretty soon. So, But they do a lot of touring. Yeah, they do. 
They do. So that's my number one, the same as your number one. Awesome. Well, that's it for our big four, and that means that's it for Debating Metal. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you consume your metal podcasts. If you enjoyed our show and agreed with our opinions or just want to rip us a new one, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can email us at debatingmetal at gmail.com. On behalf of Kenneth Dean, I'm Chris Kay. We'll see you next week.